You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners. Hello, hello. Uh, hope you're doing well. I've had a good start to the day. So today is another one of my accountants live sessions where I interview other accountants doing great things. And I have the pleasure today to uh, introduce and speak to Scott Scarano from the other side of the pond in the US. Scott has uh, built his firm to run without him. He runs it on less than four hours a week and manages to obtain half a million dollars of net profit. So I'll be quizzing Scott as to how he got to this position of being able to extract himself from the firm, the structure of his firm, what that looks like, and how he manages to generate the net profits that he does, giving him the time and space to pursue other passions like rapping and doing a podcast for accountants and all the other great stuff that he does for Accounting High, which you'll hear us speak about. So without further ado, let's get stuck in and I'll see you on the other side. So to start with, I have a special guest from across the pond. His name is Scott Scarano. Scott, in my view, is the rapping accountant. <laughs> That's how I know him. But Scott has an amazing well, journey. My new rap name on there too, OKR. That's, that's yeah, I love it. Love it. We'll, we'll unpack that uh, in due course. But yeah, I first came across Scott probably uh, maybe about a year ago. We first met. I know you, uh, Scott has got a podcast and similar to what I do. He uh, he's been sharing his learnings uh, uh, of kind of getting his firm to to run virtually without him and his journey of getting his firm to where he is through his podcast, accounting high, serving the profession, helping other accountants as well, to all good work across the ponds. I went on Scott's podcast last year and I thought, well, let's let's get this guy onto, onto mine because he's got a lot of lot of stuff to share for accountants. And if you've come across Scott, you'll have come across his raps and uh yeah, doing doing some fantastic stuff. So hey Scott, how are you this morning? I'm great. It's kind of funny that you're talking about my raps because I call you the Rizza. <laughs> you're the Rizza, yeah. That's the birth of rap for me. I mean the original, the Wu Tang. Originator yeah. of the Wu Tang, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when you first called me that, I remember telling you that um, I hadn't heard, I hadn't been called that since primary school because one of my good primary friends mm -hmm. was in was into the Wu Tang and he used to call me the Rizza. So uh, I, I know that uh, very well. Brilliant, love it. Okay, well let's um, let's start off with from the beginning. So I'm going to talk to I'm going to ask Scott a few questions about his backstory and of course fulfill on the promise of today's session, which is entitled "How I Run My Fees on My Firm on Four Hours a Week and Make Over Half a Million Dollars in Net Profit." So you'll get to hear all about that, and I'll be asking Scott to unpack that and ask some questions in terms of how he got to where he got to. So you two can take some inspiration, some motivation from today's session, as always with these sessions. If you haven't already checked out previous sessions, this is now Accountants Live session number. 30 odd so there's 30 other interviews waiting for you on the podcast transform your profits if you haven't already go and check those out but as we're going through today's session if you've got any questions just let me know and i will put them to scott as we go on but to begin with let's start with scott how did you get into running your firm let's let's start there shall we hmm. so my grandfather had a cpa firm so growing up I saw that and I guess that to me was kind of like the model of what I was going to do. I don't know if that's really what I had intended, but I 
know, looking back now, that's pretty much what I thought I was going to do. That was safe for me. I could go become an accountant because I was good with numbers. My dad was a CPA. He let that go. And then he got into software. But I still thought that was the path for me. Um, in college, I kind of lost my way a little bit here and there. Thought I wanted to be a rapper. Thought I wanted to be a screenwriter. Thought I wanted to make movies. And things came crashing down pretty early, quickly. I got into some trouble. Went back to accounting. And that's just what I ended up doing. I mean, I, I worked at a couple of different CPA firms. And then that led me to the job that I took that of the firm that I eventually took over. So I worked for somebody else for about five years. And very, very small operation. I was his only helper. And I, I bought it from him after about five years. And that's the firm that I still run today. Mm. So that was about 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. Fantastic. Good stuff. So yeah, we've probably been in business around the same amount of time. I'm approaching my 15th year of running my practice. So uh, yeah, very, very similar journey. So tell me, Scott, when um, presumably you've gone on a journey as well in terms of similar to me, making all the mistakes, oh, the sun, finding your way. So talk to me a bit about kind of, you know, where, where can the light bulb moments came from you? Where were those epiphany moments? What, what were the big things that led to your journey of transformation that got you to the point now where the firm practically runs without you? And then we'll package those in more detail. Yeah. Well, I, if I didn't say it, it was COVID, COVID was the thing. Like that's, if I, I, I could try and go further back, but COVID was the big motivator for me to get out of the work because when it happened, I was in Mexico, my team was here and they didn't know what to do. I couldn't do anything. I mean, I, you know, there wasn't much I could do from where I was in Mexico. And so things started to run without me then. Um, part of it was intentional. I kind of knew, uh, epidemic or I don't know what we called it when I left for Mexico, I kind of knew something was on the horizon. And so again, subconsciously, it was more like if things do go south with this pandemic, this is a good opportunity to kind of get out of everything um, and see how things fall. You know, our, our, our firm could operate remotely, but we had an office and I knew it could operate remotely because of all the systems in place because of, and so that was more of like a stress test that I saw it as. I didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. I didn't think we'd still be talking about it three years later, but that was, that, that had to be the biggest thing. But I think the other big thing prior to that, to get us in the right place was number one, the software that we picked and to EOS, or I, I would probably put EOS higher than that. EOS is the entrepreneur operating system. If you've heard of traction and those books, a lot of people talk about it. Find your visionary, your visionary integrator combos and operate the firm like a business. Um, before that, so I'm, I'm going even further back, it was eMyth. So the eMyth accountant that I read and just working on the business, not in the business. I knew what that meant, but I wasn't actually practicing it when I first saw that. And then it was Ron Baker before that. Ron Baker's value pricing. So I'm, I'm sort of toppling like the monumental moments going backwards from COVID. Um, and and now I got Ron Baker as the principal at Accounting High. So we're coming back like full circle. But it was the first time I saw Ron Baker that transformed the way that I priced things, the way that I approached pricing, our profitability significantly changed when we started doing value pricing. Um, and EOS created 
a system for us to operate the firm like an actual business and not the traditional accounting firm where everything ends with the owner. You know, the James Ashford talks about um, the starfish and the spider, that book. And that's more of like creating a decentralized organization and not being the head of everything, not being the center of everything in the firm. And I was early days up until we started doing EOS, everything went through me. So I was the bottleneck for absolutely everything. I had to review every return that went out the door. I had to, I had to look at every set of books. Um, so things really shifted when we started doing EOS and I got a management team. And then the other big changes were just mindset shifts along the way too. Thinking about things differently and actually practicing that and not just talking about something. So it's a lot to unpack there to just say what were the big things. But I would have to say if I had to put up guideposts or posts along the way, it was probably Ron Baker, EOS. I know I said something else in between there and <laughs> COVID. Yeah, um, absolutely. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's, let's let's unpack each of those in turn then, because yeah, as you rightly said, you know, pandemic. I talk about it as a as a huge opportunity now in terms of a silver lining, uh, in terms of the way we would do business. It's become much easier for us to be able to to grow our firms post pandemic because people have become comfortable with having a Zoom call with you. So we no longer have to have clients which are local to us. We can get clients from anywhere in the country, or for you guys from anywhere in the state, for that matter. Software. That was the one big unlock that software. I forgot. But you know, software yeah, that allows us to do that. We can service clients from anywhere. Clients are now comfortable talking to us from anywhere, which means we are no longer required to service clients just within our local area. So let's um, let's unpack those to give some practical takeaways for the audience. So you mentioned the EOS, Gino Wickman traction book, etc. So you read that, and it comes up with you know the the concept of the visionary and integrator. You were doing everything at that point. How did you go about? finding your integrator presumably you're the visionary and you how did you go about finding that integrator was it somebody already in the business or did you go out actively looking for someone to come in and manage those operations to take you out of that uh, same role great question so a lot of things i do accidentally on purpose i think um all along the way look look back on hindsight and say oh wow that was a great position i put myself in it worked um this was the guy that started work the first person we hired somebody that I went to high school with, somebody that I knew pretty well through other friends. Um, and he started working just as something to do. Like, you know, he was looking to leave his other job and he wanted to learn how taxes worked. He wanted to learn the finance side of business. He was interested in business. Um, up until that point, he was working. And then he was working for me for five years and became sort of just my second hand. I never called him operations manager. I never called him COO or integrator. He was just the first hire that I made at that firm. You know, our first hire besides me and the other guy, it was, I wasn't even the owner of the firm still when I hired him. I just needed somebody else to help extend me. So to do all the things I was doing so I could multiply me. And that's, that's not the way we teach. That's not the way we talk about how you need to hire, but that's how I did it. And that's how a lot of people still do it. You know, we just need another body to do all the things that we're doing um, as the owner. So it was somebody that reached out to us that I found EOS. It wasn't that I read the book. I maybe, I don't even know if I had heard of the book, but I saw it on the bottom of somebody's email. He was looking to have us do his stuff for his wife, his wife's business. And I, he was just reaching out. And then he it said EOS 
implementer or coach or whatever it said, it intrigued me. I checked out the website and that sparked a lot of interest. So I started talking to him about that too. I said, we can definitely help your wife, but can you help us? This seems like something I might be interested in. And so we worked out a deal where basically it was like trading services. He wanted to do good by his wife. So he's getting her all the accounting services and everything from us. And in turn, he sees it as an opportunity for him because we're part of a franchise. And he thought maybe if I help them, I can help the entire franchise. So that is kind of what it turned into, but I'm fast forwarding a little bit. Um, and so that is how we started doing EOS. Cause if I, I was left to do it by myself, I would have fumbled it. There was no way I would have been able to implement it and had the patience to do that. So, and it took us, that was six years ago. So hmm. it definitely took us a long time to be able to be in a position where it all made sense to us. And we really understood the concepts of an accountability chart that took us forever to put together. Um, and even just sink in to understand what all of the things meant. I could read it, but to really understand it, we needed a third, a person on the outside. So we were outside of our echo chamber because internally in the firm, we can talk about a lot of things, but it's usually just repeating the same thing day after day. So yeah, absolutely. that's really what it took was a third, another person to help us yeah. get it going. It usually does, doesn't it? We realize that actually we don't know what we don't know. And we've got mm -hmm. to take the first step of investing in our own selves to be better business owners so we can ultimately do the best for our clients, our team, and ourselves and our families. So I like to make these things very practical. So talk us through what, what does your firm look like now in terms of the structure, how many people, who have you got, and in what seats? Because as yeah. Jim Collins says, it's about getting the right people on the bus and the right, right people on the, on the right seats. seats. For sure. So what, is, what does your bus look like? Tell us. So let's just say COVID. Let's go back to that monumental moment. I had 12 people in the U.S. at that time. And I didn't know, like, well, let's just say that's what we had. Um, I had my integrator, who's the operations manager. I had somebody that was client success is what we call it now. That back then it was more of like, help again like it was assistant admin he didn't do any taxes didn't do any accounting so i basically had two people that weren't doing any client work um i had an office so we had a front office administrator and then we had operations team um COVID happened and we hired two more or no that's when we hired two more people so that's when we had 12. so it was like right after COVID, we had 12 people and then a few months later we're losing money. We weren't growing like we did before COVID. We weren't, so we, we got into a crisis where the firm was actually losing money. We had too much capacity and we didn't even know it. We didn't even know where we had the capacity. We just knew we had all these people in operations. We had these clients. We didn't add enough to be making money. So we had to let two people go. This was the first big restructure I ever had in the firm and the first time I ever had to let anybody go. And it wasn't the two people we hired. We let go of the front office person, which we didn't have an office. So we didn't really see that translating to the virtual environment. Um, and we let go of our worst performing person. I mean, just somebody that, you know, we liked as a person, but it's so hard to let somebody go that isn't the right fit. And that was the big lesson we learned there was how to let somebody go and detach personally. These personal relationships that we form with our team, like this guy worked for me for years. I'm still friends with him. I still like him, you know, as a person, he just wasn't the right employee. So letting people go um, and then 
throughout COVID, we started to really figure out what does capacity mean? What is our capacity? And that's only because we started losing people even more. The two people we hired at the beginning of the COVID, toward the end of 2021, both of them left. Um, They lasted maybe over a year. I don't know. Maybe it was in 2022 they left. But two people gone. And we had one person in the Philippines toward the early mid early mid COVID. So we were outsourcing for the first time and it's working well, very well. As we lost two more people, we started replacing them with people in the Philippines. And so currently now I'm just going to fast forward because we lost people during COVID. People left the profession for various reasons. We're having a crisis, a talent shortage, but it was easy to find people in the Philippines and we replaced them there. So now we currently have six people in the U S so we went from 12 to six and we have four people in the Philippines. So really we, we have a headcount total of 10, which is technically what we had right before COVID. Um, but now I have distinct roles and operations and in management team. So I've got our client success, same guy that was with me before and my operations manager, my integrator, who's been with me now for 11 years. So 11 or 12 years now. Um, and our operations team, which are client facing in the US, four CPAs, three CPAs, client facing, and everybody else that's doing the operational work, bookkeeping, keeping things up, reconciling accounts, all of that work is done Philippines, fully outsourced, asynchronously. So that was a big, you know, all of these things happened over time slowly, but now we're in a place where we have enough systems in place that everybody can work asynchronously, everybody can work remotely, and we have people working directly with clients that don't have to do a lot of that task work that they used to be doing too. So before it was just here, here's all your clients, figure it out. Then eventually we added levels of support, bookkeeping support, and then eventually it turned into the system we have now where fully handled in the Philippines and outsourced and um, the client facing the client interactions happens here because clients like that. They want somebody that can speak to them, that can talk to them, speak their language. And these are accountants. They just don't have to do any more of those simple tasks, mm. which was the name of my ninth rap, simple tasks. <laughs> it, it, it's bringing it back now. I can hear it. I can hear it ringing in my ears. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> simple. What was it simple tasks? Are? Simple tasks rule everything around me. Oh, it was an cool. outcast. It was a, it was a uh, Wu-Tang song that I did. <laughs> yeah. So cash rules everything. Around. It was cream by Wu Tang. Is was the nice. track I did. That's it. Yeah, it's got a very addictive. We can share that link later, maybe. On Absolutely. Sure the YouTube thing. video. Amazing. So, so talk, you you said you were you were losing money, and that was not so long ago. So, what do you think? And and definitely in terms of your setup, it's not too dissimilar from ours. We have client managers here in the UK who are client facing, and then we've got an offshore team in the Philippines as well that essentially does the does the you know the, the bookkeeping work because why wouldn't you we've got access to a global village and a, of of people who are global talent uh, and people who can do the job really well and you know i find people in the philippines are very very loyal very trustworthy and come with a lot of experience and therefore it makes uh, you know business sense it's cost effective makes to so much do sense. that absolutely so yeah I, I love our team in the philippines they're they're just like our team here like i i see them all as as one now, you know, I, I like to distinguish it because of the 
the price difference. It's a significant difference in price for the, the person we were paying here, you know, that left the work they're doing almost double the work that the person here was doing because the person here was just messing around at home. You know, not really they, like they weren't really organized. I don't know. I, I don't want to go into the comparisons, but yeah, we, we just started to see clear differences in work ethic and just the respect for the work too and the respect for the job and to care about the work that they were doing. Um, right. So I love it. I, lo I love the operation that we have going on now. Um, you want me to talk about us losing money? Like, yeah, so talk about kind of when you were losing money and kind of, and also your revenue levels then compared to sure, revenue levels sure. now. So, yeah. so I hit a ceiling. They call this hitting the ceiling at about 1.2 million back in 2016, um, where really we just kind of hovered in that 1.2 range. We would add new clients, but we would lose clients. It was just a churn, a constant churn that I hit the ceiling because I was still doing almost everything. I was doing a lot and we couldn't grow beyond that. And we just kept approaching little past 1.2 million and then something would happen, whatever it was. We'd lose a person, we'd lose some clients, who knows? Um, and I still had hopes, ambitions that we would still be able to keep growing when we hired two more. We need extra capacity because apparently everybody's overworked. So, okay, we're going to hire two more CPAs to get, you know, to get more work done. Well, when we hired two more and I brought in a lot of new clients, all of a sudden everybody's overworked with the onboarding and all the work. And so that was very frustrating for me because I still didn't see it from their perspective. I just kept saying, here, we need more clients to fill this work, to fill these salaries here. Here's all the clients I just, you know, signed on anybody we could. It wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really as intentional as we would be now. It was just any client that was willing to pay us, come on, come on board. We'll do your three years of work that you need to get done that you haven't. So it was just a lot of, um, we got a question coming in too. We'll, we'll get there. Um, so it was a lot of messy, messy things going on. And amidst all that, you know, we can't handle the all at once. I don't have the patience anymore. And that's when I hit my breaking point. Like when we started losing money, that's when, and that's kind of around the time when I started the podcast too. So back then it wasn't accounting high, it was sons of CPAs, as you remember. Um, and it was more of my outlet to just do something else and distract myself because I was burning myself out at the firm because I didn't see any future. I didn't see the path forward to where I actually was out of most of the work at that point. I was just doing sales and that's also why it wasn't really working because I was so disconnected between the onboarding and the work. And I just kept taking on new clients. I just kept just doing sales. That was my job. You guys are doing everything else in operations. I'm supposed to be doing sales. Terrible system that we had there. And that's also when I started to get, as we learned, this wasn't working and we were losing money, um, was when I slowed down the sales and we let two, that's when we let the two people go. So, um, I think I, I, th I, th I think at that point was really when my management team started coming into their own was when they basically were tasked with the decision with me of what are we going to do? And that's when they realized we did need to let two people go. And that was the turning point for us as a firm, because that's when they started to really take responsibility and ownership in their full role. Cause when you have to make a decision of letting somebody go, 
that hurts. That's hard. That's so hard to do as an owner. Um, because you could just blindly think everything's going to work out and take the cut yourself. And I couldn't do that. I couldn't just take a salary cut. Like I was, I didn't want to do that. Um, at this, at this point I had been working, you know, years and years to build the firm to where it was. Why should I not make any money or do I have to now like find another source of income? I was, I was panicking. I was, it was, it was the worst time of my life. I'm still recovering from that. I still have a scarcity mindset because of those couple months that we lost money. I was talking to James Ashford about that when he was on our show. Um, he's a big mindset shift guy and he's a big, you know, abundance mindset guy. So, and I, I'm pretty sure you are too. We, I know you talked about that on your episode. Um, and we talked about mindset shifts. Your episode was great, by the way, anybody that wants to listen to Riza, he was great on my show. Stop the scroll. So, so I don't know. I, I feel like at that point, once we let people go, that's when I really trusted them and they trusted me. And I'm talking about my management team. You know, trust is such a huge thing. We talk about it a lot, but do we really mean it? Do we really trust our employees with everything? And I do. And I, I kind of always did, but not really. It wasn't until I really saw them come into their own that I could trust every decision that they made and everything they do. And that was the unlock. That trust was the unlock for me to actually be able to get out of the work and trust that it's going to work out and that trust our systems, trust our processes, trust our trust my team and them trusting me too. So it's a, it's a two way, you know, if, if they didn't trust me, I may not trust them as much too. It's a, that's definitely trust is not a one way street. If you think somebody, if you don't trust somebody, it's highly likely they're not going to trust you either, whether they say it or not in the back of their mind, they probably don't because of your actions, because of what you do, because you actually don't trust them. And I think that's a big problem in our industry. And in accounting is it's almost commonplace for firm owners to not trust their employees and want to look over their shoulder at everything they do, make sure that they're working. If they, if they're remote, I've seen people that have cameras in their employees, cameras on watching their employees. That's not trust. That's not trust, but verify In EOS. They talk about trust, but verify. Um, we do trust, but verify that's sort of like our, in our operations, that's how we run, but we really do trust like that's that's the first and foremost so mm. i think that's i hope that answers your question yeah yeah i know i would i would echo that it's such a it's such a big thing and you know we operate on a few years back we went moved to the model where we got rid of the timesheets we got rid of the working hours we got rid of all the rules just like netflix do the book by the netflix founder no rules rules where Ooh. you take away all rules from the workplace so our people can work when, where, and how they want as long as the work gets done. It doesn't matter to me how long you spend. It doesn't matter to me where you are. All that matters to me is the results that you produce. But the problem is we have so many rules in the workplace. We tie people into knots. And as they say, if you treat people like criminals, they will act like them. So my motto is give people complete autonomy, complete trust, because people don't want to be micromanaged. People want to be led. They don't want to be micromanaged and supervised. People don't need supervision. They just, they're happy with autonomy, with accountability. So yes, there will, there will be the odd occasion where somebody abuses trust, but you don't penalize the majority for the potential actions of a minority. You deal with those bad apples as and when it happens. If someone abuses your unlimited expense policies, you deal with that person and you make an example of them. But you don't tie everyone else in knots. 
for the potential of what one minority will do. And I've certainly found when I kind of introduce that complete trust to my team, you know, they want to repay you with the trust, with loyalty, with doing everything in line with, you know, your vision and making sure clients are happy and making sure that they work together as a team better. And then that's how you get that firm to run without you because you've given that trust and confidence with the accountability of what's required to basically run the show on your behalf. And it sounds like you've done similar too. So that's fantastic. So almost exactly. Yeah, that's that's so dope. From across the pond, we come to the same conclusions. <laughs> and our firms are about the same size too. Um, Absolutely. And so, and we've been on these same journeys parallel almost. Mm. And your book that's that's going to be coming out soon is The Pillars. The Pillars. And you use all P's. And so do we over here on, on my show. It's so wow. crazy how all these things are like so par similar, <laughs> yeah. parallel. Fantastic. All right, let's take this question. If you've got any questions and you're listening, then put them to Scott now so I get a chance to ask him. No doubt what you're hearing is, uh, you know, hopefully um, helping you. And if you've got any more specific questions in terms of the how, how do you kind of build that firm that can run without you? How can you make half a million net profit and spend four hours less in the practice? Then ask away now. This is your chance to do so. So we've got a question coming in on something that you mentioned on offshoring. Who do you use in the Philippines? So who's your outsource partner, or are you hiring directly? Yeah. So so we use the backroom. Um, so we're we're a big zero firm, as you can see, right above me there. Um, and these they were the double they were double rule. That was their name uh, prior to being merging with the backroom. Um, and so they basically handle all of the actual, we pay them and they pay the employees. So they handle the benefits and, and everything else. It's almost like their employees over there. So double rule became the back room and they work primarily with zero. I, I also interviewed um, Nick Sinclair of TOA on our show. Um, that's the outsourced accountant, TOA Global. Um, they may be a better solution if for any platform and so I, I could recommend them. I don't use them, but they're huge. They're they're very big in Philippines. They have a very big presence there. Thousands of employees. Mm. Um, they could be a good solution, but the backroom, if you use zero, um, actually backroom, maybe for anything too. I love our team there and we work very well with them. The backroom uh, originated in New Zealand, but all the team is based in Philippines. So... Fantastic. So the back room there. And from our experience, I, we actually go direct. So there's a website called onlinejobs.ph, which allows you to go direct to the individual. There's, you know, uh, Filipinos who will put their CVs upon there. You post a job. And every time I've done it, I've got, I've been inundated with applications, all very good applications. And then we've had our interviews and uh, then recruited directly off the back of that. So, yeah, you can definitely go with an organization that will help to source for you, or you can go direct, uh, depending on how much appetite you have for recruiting directly. Good stuff. Good. All right, let's move on from the people pillar and let's move on to the the pricing. So, Tell me about your, you know, how do you, what, what's been your mindset shift in terms of how you price and how has that led to, I'm guessing, your your profitability that you see today in terms of how you price up work compared to how you used to? So my mom doesn't like me to talk about this, but um, when I said I got into trouble in college, that was from selling drugs. So <laughs> that is how I learned how to price. And it was all basically intuition. I was doing three options back then 
based on the cut and the grade of what I was selling. And so my margins were pretty much the same based on if you wanted option A, B, or C, you know, you would pay for premium uncut mid-grade or this, I can only afford this basically. Um, that is actually how I learned. And so that was, that's pretty much where I say like, I learned from the streets, right? I learned from intuition. I learned by doing. I shouldn't use that as the example. I'm not very proud of all of that, but uh, you know, my mom wants to make sure that I add that caveat in there, but that is, that is the truth. And then when I see Ron Baker, you know, so fast forward years later, and I see Ron Baker talking about selling things in three options and value pricing. And I have a couple of his books behind me. Um, that was life-changing. And that was also a huge unlock for me at the firm was you're pricing the client and you can give them three options. And it just felt natural to me. It just felt like I knew I've done this before. I know, I know this. Uh, and, and, you know, you see it all over. Ron used to use the example of how any, like, anybody outside of accounting, you know, you go on their website and they're giving you three options. And that was, that was the way. So that was, um, that was the big change and big shift when I started to realize you could price anything however you want. Uh, you know, people will pay a price and you'll find out if you price things too high. But that's basically what, that was the big shift we did. I was still pretty much doing everything at that point. But once we got our pricing right and we started to realize what people will pay, what's that top? So I always overpriced everything and we would lose a lot of deals and people wouldn't come work with us because it was priced way too high, but that was okay. That was almost encouraging. And I started to really find out what people will pay because in reality, all we're really doing at my firm is cash basis books for the tax return. So we're not doing accrual. We're not doing anything fancy to get these higher and higher deal engagements we're really just basically doing your bookkeeping all year round so we can do the tax return and it's all for the tax return. Maybe we're going to do some tax planning and plan ahead for your return, but that's what we're doing. It's very, very compliance driven. Um, but we're charging the right price for that. So our margins were, were always pretty good up until we hired those two people, but you know, we, we talked about that. Um, so yeah, our prices were dialed in and we were able to do more with less, fewer clients and go deeper with them. But really, you know, again, we weren't, we weren't transforming lives. We weren't doing what I would love to do in the future with our firm. We were just doing the books, just doing the work, but we were taking that completely out of the thoughts and minds of our clients. So what I was selling was the peace of mind of what we're going to deliver. So from beginning to end, your books, your taxes, everything in between, that's what we're going to handle for you. And people would pay a good price for that. So they still do. I'm not involved in the pricing or any of that anymore. It's all pretty much in place. I would love to go in there and tweak it, but that's part of the, that's part of our systems now is I don't go in there and tweak everything because I make things, I mess things up. I break things. I want to change everything. So mm -hmm. we didn't really talk about how things are going today, but that was the big unlock in pricing was, was definitely Ron Baker's methods and synthesizing what I kind of already knew in the back of my mind and going mm. about going about my day. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Ron's a wise man. And uh, yeah, it's all about, you know, we, as accountants, we are so fixated on billable hours and chargeable time and 
clocking uh, timesheets and working out our costs. But the thing is, pricing doesn't come from costs. I mean, this is one big epiphany moment I had years ago. Your price doesn't come from your costs. You don't think about the costs of any supplier when you're buying anything, whether you're buying a cup of coffee or a mobile phone or a car or an item of clothing, you don't think about the cost of the supplier. You only think about value to you. So the only calculation going on in your prospect, your client's mind when they buy from you is, is the price I'm paying less than the value I'm getting. So our job is to better project that value, to increase the perception of value from buying from us by talking about the alternative cost of the solution like hiring your own finance team or the peace of mind that we give or the tax savings that we're going to generate to communicate the higher perceived value in the client's mind. And then our price, you know, seems reasonable against those anchors of value. Fantastic. Okay, well, we're, this week could go on for ages, but unfortunately we're out of time. So I'm going to ask you one last question, Scott. What's uh, what's the plan for you going ahead now? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? What are you doing? What does your life look like? Oh, I'm rapping. I know that. We didn't get to talk much about that. We also didn't talk about my uh, bracket challenge that we're doing at Accounting High. Good. So okay, feel free to use this For anybody time paying attention right now, yeah. you could win a trip to Hawaii. It's, a, it's actually a flight from LA to Hawaii if you're out of the country. But you go to ABC dot accountinghigh.com and vote on these matchups so we're already into the tournament this is modeled off of the ncaa tournament in the u.s the college basketball tournament and right now we're currently on the round of 16 teams so eight matchups we started with 64 teams and these are apps in the accounting space these education platforms in the accounting space a lot of things you'll recognize a lot of the teams that got knocked out um, you'll also recognize some teams are maybe U.S. specific, but that's because majority of our audience is U.S. So we're on the Sweet 16 of the tournament. It's great. Ignition's in there. I know you know Ignition. Um, and yeah, so check that out, abc.accountinghigh.com. I will be doing that in five years. Like right now, everything I'm doing, I hope to keep doing in five years. Like I don't, I don't have any big goals, goals, um, or big like, you know, I have big dreams, but that's more of like North Stars, like direction that I'm going in. I want to work on my first rap album outside of accounting, but I also have this persona OKR. So OKR, if you've talked about this on your show, you know, objectives and key results, I could just leave it at that. That's my rap name, but really it stands for OK Rapper. Um, so <laughs> that's my that's my business um, moniker. Yeah, that's up. my business identity. I also have the other rap um, name, Lil Toddler. So that's going to be more of the uh, family friendly side. I don't even know if it's going to be family friendly because it's very explicit, the stuff I talk about. But I'm also going to have my kids involved, too, because it's Lil Toddler. So I got three kids. Uh, one of them's four, one's nine and one's 15. And nice. we're going to have like a YouTube channel. And I'm going to do like they're going to rap Dr. Seuss books and stuff. And I'm going to work on my own other raps with Lil Toddler on the side. So. Amazing. That's that side of it. Um, I still want to keep doing the show. The show that I'm doing, Accounting High, it's pretty much a podcast now, but now we have a YouTube channel. So if you check up, check out our YouTube channel, that's where you'll see my newest music video and my newest rap, the Tax Accountant's Anthem. So all these raps that I've been doing so far, I've done 10 of them, are basically stuff that I grew up with from the 90s, early 2000s, 90s, and 
parodying them for today's modern accountant because that's me. So yeah. I'm making it relatable to me and in turn relatable to all the other accountants that I'm talking to on the show too and just in the, on the platform. So it's I'm still in the content phase of what I'm doing. You're you're years ahead of me on this, but it's going to be look and feel very similar to what you've eventually turned it into. We're working on a book already too. Our book is going to be called How to Rap at Accounting High <laughs> and it's How to Run an Accounting Practice. So R A A P. Nice. How to rap. Nice. And I'll I'll weave my raps into the book too, but that's going to be the title at least. And and Ron Baker's writing the forward. He's going to be writing the forward from map to rap. So again, full circle to where my where I started at the firm and I learned how to price. And now Ron Baker's writing the forward to my book. Um, amazing. Yeah, we're we're years, years, years away from being able to do that. But the book, the first year of the book is going to be freshman edition. And then we'll have sophomore edition because this whole high accounting high is high school. Mm. So amazing. that's, that's going to be the journey. It's going to be like a textbook for the high school and how to run an accounting practice, how to wrap. Fantastic. Um, Love it. Can't wait to see how that journey unfolds. Well, thank you once again, Scott, for coming on. If anyone wants to connect with Scott, then hit him up on LinkedIn. And Scott, happy for you to pop the link to that wrap, which was pretty impressive into the comments of today's uh, live. So if you're catching up on the replay, you can go to it. If you've uh, attended today, then thanks so much for coming along. And you can connect with Scott. Any other questions you have that might come your way, if you listen to the replay or that might come to mind afterwards, pop them in the comments and uh, tag Scott in and hopefully he'll be around to answer them as and when but otherwise thank you once again scott it's been a pleasure thank you for attending hope you got value from it if you haven't already checked out the other episodes you can do so either on my youtube channel or on the transform your profits podcast otherwise take care bye for now i hope you got value from that episode and if you want to spend more time together where we go deeper on topics like pricing marketing sales building a team and processes so you can build a firm that is less reliant on you then come and join the typ mentoring community it's my membership program where i deliver practical mentoring sessions from my personal experience of building my practice and share resources that i have created and use in my firm so you don't have to reinvent the wheel and waste time and money making mistakes like i did there's an amazing community of 100 plus accountants that you get to meet every week, share challenges, best practices, and use the power of the group to shortcut your learnings. Go to resahooda.com forward slash mentoring to find out more. Thank you for listening. For more free content, videos, and resources, visit www.rezahuda.com. And if you haven't already, come and join the community in our Transform Your Profits Facebook group, where we support each other to build more successful, profitable, and impactful accounting firms.